two things happen when you say make new mistakes. You're allowing people to innovate and create and deploy this genius that all of us have in some capacity or another, right? But you're also calling them to be a professional because in order to make new mistakes, what do you got to do? You got to know your old ones. Choose not to live in a world of filters. Realize your mistakes. Set the foundation for your success. Get some wins. Knucklehead Podcast. Well, hey, listen, for those of you who like listening to Knucklehead, this is a special treat. I just got done walking around being toured. Yeah, the Ready Lab. The Not I, just the Ready Lab. It was an entire facility chock full of, I don't want to call it gadgets. I don't yeah. want to mischaracterize it. It was, I was blown away. I, I wasn't calls expecting. It the, she calls it the island of lost boys. Because it's just, you I know, can see that. That's actually a probably that's a pretty more fair. Just, that's more just because she makes fun of me for just not wanting to grow up. But it's not that I don't want to grow up. I just want to share with everybody what I've learned along the way, right? And and to have a facility that allows me to uh, introduce some of the, this heroic version of themselves. Like, you don't you don't need to become a SEAL. You just need to become this heroic version of yourself, right? And, yep. and, and I kind of subscribe to the Cretian definition of heroism, which is it's not a standard. It's an expectation. It's, it's really why Nazi Germany lost is they tried to invade Crete, but Crete's the island of heroes. So yeah. they invaded it, but they never occupied it because they fought everybody on the island. Because Crete's definition of heroism is be a magnificent use to those who need you when they need you most. So there's an expectation that all of us become heroic, right? With however we know to in the ways we do, right? So, so for me, it's fun to watch people who are um, self-selecting out of adventures. Uh, and and I, I, I talk about this with this thing called the achieving average, which is really kind of stabs a needle in the heart of talent being the only thing. So for me, you know, the mountain makes all men and women average, right? So in order to achieve anything meaningfully, you got to have angles, allies, and advantages. So talent's an advantage for yeah. sure. Treasure is an advantage for sure. But absent angles and allies is just one third of the two third equation. So angles are what we learn in our military is like slow, smooth, smooth as fast. It's like being a, a, a craftsman, like eliminating all wasted motion. You know, you look to nature and a lion looks lazy till it's coming at you. And you're like, oh, that's what that was built for. Like a great white shark look lollygagging until it's coming at you. Like, hmm, okay, no wasted motion. That's what I was designed for. So angles are finding mechanical advantage, right? So for me, whenever I faced a running back that was faster than me, which was every time I faced a running back, if you're faster than me, but I know where you're going, I'm now faster than you. If you're bigger than me, but I'm lower than you, I'm now yeah, stronger than you, right? Yeah. So finding that mechanical advantage. Allies are surrounding yourself with people who mean what they say as much as you mean what you say, right? Understanding, you know, T.E. Lawrence once said, an opinion could be argued with, but a conviction is best shot. Because opinion mm. doesn't change the world. Opinion rarely fails to produce action. But conviction always produces action, right? So you remember when you were going through Marine Corps. I, I got to stop you here yeah. real quick. So for those of you who are listening. Yeah, we waited right into that. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's all good. You got to introduce yourself, Clint. So yeah. I'm going to butcher your backstory. Sure. So rather than take a stab at it and, yeah. and miss the mark, what I, you know, and small, miss small here, let's, let's, uh, let's have you correct yeah. our listeners. Everybody who's listening to Knucklehead knows my Knuckle Dragon story. They understand what Knucklehead is. We essentially empower progress and we empower folks through failure. Yeah. Because nobody talks about it. Nobody, talks, nobody talks about what they screwed up. They, they want to talk about the accomplishments. They want to look good. Yeah. They want to sound good in a boardroom. Yeah. They, most of life's a hot mess, man. Most of it is. Done is better than perfect, except for Yeah, it's about it's escaping the gravitational pull of your last big mistake, right? I it mean, seems that way. That's kind of life, right? But that's not convenient for social media. It's not convenient for, for those who like to attract a headline and oh, sure. follow that headline 
and then sell ad space to that headline. So Clint, introduce yourself. Yeah. Real quick. So my name is Clint Bruce. I've kind of had this force gumpy and kind of life. I've just kind of stumbled around and done things. Grew up in Arkansas, moved to Texas when I was young, played high school football here, uh, was part of a very successful program, had an opportunity to go play at several different places. Um, but I always loved that Army Navy game. Army Navy game had always meant something to me. And, and I grew up watching Magnum PI and and Thomas Magnum played football at the Naval Academy and was a Navy SEAL. So I was like, man, if I if I go to Naval Academy and become a Navy SEAL, maybe I can look like Tom Selleck. And, and my wife reminds me daily that's that that's, that hasn't happened. And I, ne- I didn't have a Ferrari. I got I rode in a Ferrari and I got stuck. I couldn't get out. They're very low. And so the valet guy actually pulled him in with it. It was super weird. But uh, <laughs> so I had an opportunity to play at multiple places. My father passed away my senior year in high school. Uh, had to make a 40-year decision instead of a four-year decision and chose to go play at the Naval Academy. Had a had an amazing career there. I've been around some amazing men and women uh, that really, in a lot of ways, really radically redefined what's what's possible um can i stop you just for sure, a second sure All right, so that's some of the that's some of the backstory mm-hmm. whenever you how old were you 17 18 when he passed it was i was 17 when we kind of knew it was going to potentially end that way okay. and i was 18 when he passed okay so 18 years old for those of you who are listening for context either you have an 18 year old or at one point in time they were 18 yeah. so there's not necessarily they're going to be 18. I would hope so. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. My kids fall into that category. And so I think of, you know, what my mental state was at 18 years old. And again, this is not quite a podcast. This yeah. is not, you did it perfectly every oh, gosh. first time mm-hmm. podcast. So yeah. when it comes to screwing up and making mistakes, who was it that held you accountable and what mistake did you make at 18 when your dad passed? Well, you- I, w- I would tell you is, is I mean, I, I made so many mistakes before then, but what, one thing I'll tell you is the minute he passed and I realized I wasn't going to be able to learn from him anymore, I became acutely aware of how how poorly I listened to him before I lost him, right? And so I was, I was self-aware of that. I was like, oh, what was that thing you told me about being a man that I was pretty convinced I already knew because I was a starting linebacker at South Garden High School and Molly loves me and we're like blah, 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 all this other stuff, right? And all of a sudden he's gone and I'm like, oh man, I wish I'd have taken notes, right? And so I was fortunate to be in an ecosystem with a bunch of men who knew my father and were his friends. So they were able to share with me kind of what he would have thought, what he would have said and, and gave me tremendous grace because I was really, really hard on myself. And then really what I tried to do from that point on was kind of build this aggregate father in a way. And I was very aggressive about finding percentages of him or what I remembered him being or what he would have wanted to be in these other people, right? On the ball field, on the battlefield, on the boardroom, and the breakfast table. So for me t- to uh, try to find that thing that he was trying to give me after he was gone, um, yeah, that's that's one of the mistakes that I'm, I'm, I'm I, I constantly work myself around and out of. Right, I hear more now than I did then. I'm 46. He was 46 when he passed away. So there was seeds that he planted. Oh, in sure. That yeah. were not ready to germinate. That were not mature enough. That didn't get nurtured. Well, the the, the, the soil wasn't. To. The seeds were. The yeah. soil was the soil. Right. So so yeah. for me, yeah. I mean, it's most of my life has been about escaping the gravity of of my mistakes. Isn't it, isn't it crazy how? First of all, I appreciate you sharing that story. Yeah, sure. But the friction that gets created off of poor decisions oh. and the, the the net effect of the impact on other people's lives. Yeah, it's resistance. It's drag. You don't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a really good way yeah. to characterize it. But at the same time, it's 
it's also what doesn't get shared. So you store it. And when well, you, you store have to, it, right. Hey, you have, I in mean, order to we release talk it, about the body keeps the score. Right. I mean, I, I tell people like emotions are, are, are like yeah. water. It's going to get out. It's going to be ice. It's going to be steam or it's going to be water. Right. And water is a thoughtful distribution of that, which happened to you or when you happen to you. Right. And, and so for me, I, I, I talk to my daughters about there's a, there's a difference between shame and regret and shame is the shovel that Satan will use to bury you. And regret is this, I wish I would have, I wish I wouldn't have. And it's okay to have regrets, right? Um, but you can measure that inflection point between shame and regret in, in time. Like once you've, once you've extracted the value out of that mistake, the more you marinate on that mistake is the irrecoverable time. It's just, you're losing it. You can't get it back, right? And when I, when I talk about pursuing elite, when I go get that presentation, one of the things I talk about is these kind of qualities that elite achievers have. And one of them is authenticity and authenticity is always there because there's, there's, you preach from their pain and you share their scars and there's tactical and moral reasons for this. Tactically, there's wisdom in sharing our scars because it harvests time. Like every football game I ever played and there was 60 minutes on the clock, didn't matter who I was playing and the clock didn't care about either one of us. Right. And if I make a three second mistake and I don't tell anybody about it, I've doomed 10 other men to potentially replicate that mistake. Now we've lost six, nine, 12, 15 seconds, right? There's a lot of ones that I didn't lose. I ran out of time. Well, you lost. Game's over. You know, you didn't have as many points as the other guy. But if you attribute why that loss was to lack of authenticity on the sidelines or with a skybox, that's on you, right? And then morally, morally, it's right to share our scars and preach from pain because not only do we save someone else time, um, we, we harvest the one finite resource us in the competition enemy adversary dealing with, but you spare them pain. And here's what's magic about that. Like when you spare someone pain you have, it does not recover that time. It's not a time machine, but you do redeem it. Like what meant nothing or negative now means something, right? And that's so true too. Cause when you haven't seen somebody that you've gone through pain with, you yeah. share that common yeah. struggle. Yeah. You shared that mistake with it. Maybe that friend that you haven't seen for you almost, yeah pick back up where you left 100%. off. And it's interesting. Uh, there's not really a lot of other things out there other than failure, screw up, and almost the embarrassment of bearing your soul with other folks who, who see you for who Man, you, you are. Pain and failure, pain and failure. It, and it's interesting. It's revealing. Hey, you ever asked yourself why you haven't started a podcast? Well, I already know the reason. So do you. You don't feel like you're tech savvy. You don't feel like you got your message wired tight. And quite frankly, it's just, it's all this mystification going on. Quite frankly, uh, our process helps to demystify that. We're push button for podcasts. We're knucklehead. Why knucklehead? Well, we lead with the fact that you don't know what you're doing. We do. We've been there. We've actually been in your shoes. We take your spoken voice. We literally give a human voice to your website. You want to bring dead leads to life? Well, then you need to talk to knucklehead. Essentially, what we're going to do is we're going to take you through our process and we're going to help take your human voice and increase the process for you going from dead leads to life. How do I how do I do that? Well, you essentially just take your human voice, put it in a directory and let people consume more of you. Give your audience the ability to Netflix on you. They want to binge watch you. They want to binge listen. Give them the ability to take your voice along on that commute with them. So. You can get in touch with us, Steven at Knucklehead Podcasts, or if you've got a really cool story, stories at Knucklehead Podcasts. You can find us on LinkedIn and on Facebook at Knucklehead Promotions LLC and get in touch with us. Don't be a beta about the process. Don't let the fact that you don't know prevent you from getting some wins. So don't be a beta, get some wins and contact us today. See you. 
so as you really kind of dive deeply into brain science, it's interesting. And I, and I may be misrepresenting this, but I think I'm right. Yeah, we're, we're not the, scientists the brain, here. I'm a knuckle dragger. He's obviously can categorize things. The a brain lacks a stimulus to learn on positive feedback. Yeah. So the brain gets sticky when it has, oh, that didn't work. So pain or failure are the two things that produce that, right? And so that's why we have to change the words. Like for me, change and quitting were synonymous. Have you read the book, The Talent Code? Yeah, yeah, 100%, yeah. And the way yeah, the mile in. Yeah, Dan Coyle and all of, yeah, yeah. And that's yeah, fascinating. So for those of you who are listening, who are listening to what he's saying, if it's resonating with you at all, yeah. would you suggest that book to go read? Well, without question, I, I'd say read all Dan Coyle stuff. For me, w why I'm so. And for those of you who are Marines like me, if you want to do a book by audiobook, audio book, audio book, when I say I've read you. something, just know that I listen to it on audio. <laughs> So one of the reasons I got so fascinated with brain science is because, you know, in my transition, there were just, there was sub- right, we got to clarify. It's 2020. Yeah. Transition out of the military, of the military. and stop so, yeah. playing football. So, so I'll, transition. I'll finish the story so we can shift the name. So yeah. yeah, I went and played football at Naval Academy, Had a was part of a really remarkable team, amazing coaches. Gary Patterson, who's head coach over at TCU. Paul Johnson was head coach at Georgia Tech. You know, Phil Emery was the head, he's the player person at Atlanta Falcons. Uh, just Tommy Ray. My, my, I just had a who's who of coaches, right? Yeah. And some really, really great players I got to be teammates with and, and, then, and then go serve with as well. And I had an opportunity to play in the NFL, so I went to the Baltimore Ravens briefly. And I remember being in the league and just going, I, I, I can learn more about football. I can learn about, more about myself, but I feel like I drink pretty deeply from this well. And I don't know if I can be a SEAL. And I was afforded an amazing honor to be one of 16 guys selected to go pursue SEAL teams out of Annapolis. And I just couldn't imagine wasting a billet that someone else fought for. And, and I was gifted with, and also I just had this bend to go where I don't know. And, and I remember going home and telling my bride, I'd gotten married right after Naval Academy. And I said, Hey, I, I gotta go do this. And she was, she was, she was more proud that I wanted to pursue being a SEAL and, and haven't been in the NFL. And she did say like, how much I'm, I'm proud that we're, how much do we just lose? I'm like, well, a lot, like financially, we gained a lot, but financially not so much, but you know, you get to experience things that money can't buy. Right. So leaving the NFL, went through SEAL training, made it, was very fortunate, part of a really strong class with some really good instructors and some really, really amazing enlisted guys that, that just kind of dragged my big tail through the whole thing. And then I uh, checked in the SEAL team five, had a chance to come back out with the saints and was with the saints for a little while. And it's just kind of remembering, um, I always want to breathe that rare air. Right. And, and I breathe that rare air over in the SEAL teams that I, you know, I didn't know it existed. It was everything I learned about football and more. Do you ever, do you ever take the time to stop back and think, what if your dad was there so you could bounce some of these decisions off of him because I, I i just what i'm hearing over and over again is this elite so this call of the elite yeah you, you answered yeah, yeah. the call yeah there's a call from well, the elite in a call a to pursue it right 100 so, we could agree that nfl and the seal teams are both elite yes but let me explain outcomes really quickly so I, I really kind of believe there's five outcomes there's bad average good excellent and elite okay and we have to decide what output we're uh, uh what energy willing to accept from yeah, ourselves right yep. so if it's our passion or profession i think we want to be somewhere between excellent and elite sure and excellence is this place on a map that you get to and then you got to rest recover and revel that's what the brain science will tell you but then you have a choice do you reload or do you relax and i've always wanted to be someone who reloads right and so there's 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 a bunch of moments where I mean I wish I could ask Dad about this uh, probably more so after I got out yeah. than, than when I was in, but 
having always been part of a team sport, having always had really amazing coaches, and I've always been intentional about trying to replicate and aggregate that wisdom that I no longer had access to you. I didn't replace it. I can't replace that. But I don't, I have fleeting moments of, man, I wish I could ask my dad, but I'm, I'm rarely in a position where I don't have someone to ask. Yeah. Right. And, and, well, that's, and, and that's by some, design. Yeah. You surrounded yourself. With yeah, I, just, I, I tell people the more talented you are, the more you have to surround your people. You have to, the more talented you are, the more you have to surround yourself with people that will tell you the truth. Cause the world will tell a talented man anything he wants to hear. Right. And I'm not representing myself as a talented man. I'm just saying I notice around myself with truth tellers. Yeah. I come into work and this dude's like, Hey, you're looking fat. I'm like, dad, gum it. Like you, you're not supposed to tell me that. Like, I like, you know, so, but I mean, and that's why I like, well, do you want a mirror? I yeah, mean, we I, can, I, how do you want to play I, this I, game? I bring around, that's why I love being around young guys, man. Cause young guys are just too dumb to, to know not to, to be say afraid. Yeah. You know, like you get around some teenagers, like, I thought you could do this. I'm like, what? I used like, to, I, I'll you give me a week. I'll do this <laughs> thing again. I'll stomp a mud hole in you. Right. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, and then, um, you know, had a, had a really wonderful career in the teams. I, I, I don't talk a lot about what I didn't do that much. I mean, I, I tell the people I did more than some, but less than most. Right. And yeah. you can swing a bat and hit someone more accomplished in, in combat than me. And, and, uh, did multiple platoons as an officer. I was very fortunate to have a chance to deploy multiple times. Uh, most times as an officer, you only really get two shots with a combat element. And I got to do three, which I'm very grateful for. And then, uh, came home to a tired bride and eight month old daughter. And I just remember looking in the guys I was surrounded with and the SEAL teams and going, man, I not, not only are the teams not going to miss me, but it, it might be better for the community if I just get out of these guys way. Cause I had some amazing JOs that I got to work around and got to build into them. And, and there, you know, it was just like, there's 20 guys that are me plus that I'm just looking at right now, but no one can leave my family. And, and, you know, I don't have a father and my bride's family was in it. Her father was in a declining health and, you know, my sister and my brother. And I was like, I need to, I need to come home and take care of my family. So came home and went into uh wealth management. It was horrible for me. Uh, really important industry. I wasn't good at it. I would sit down with someone and go, Hey, can I manage your wealth? And they go, no. I'm like, well, I don't want to manage your stupid wealth anyway. I hate you. Know, I had some anger issues I was processing at the time. I'm also pretty honest. So I sit down with someone and go, hey, can I manage your wealth? And they go, are you better than my person? I'm like, well, who's your person? They tell me. I'm like, nah, they're so good. Like, they die, call me, but I'd stay with them. So that was going great. And, uh, I and by some, going great, yeah, let's it just wasn't, clarify. It wasn't going well. Absolutely it wasn't going horrible. Well. Yeah, yeah. It, but I, I worked with, ama- but, but, I, I worked but, with an amazing team. Let's though. let's peel the onion bear back just yeah. a little bit here because I, I think it's important to, to hover over this. You were willing to go out there because oh, yeah. you, you felt as if wealth management was an admirable career. Well, and at just, the same time, I, I, there's there's a way that you can build wealth by helping to manage other it's folks. It's a fantastic career. The second part is kind of how I rationalized it to, to myself, knowing that it wasn't my gifts, right? Is, hey, I'm still protecting people. I'm just protecting the wealth. But, but uh, then you're looking at the landscape. If you take it as serious as you take everything else, then you go, hey, am I the best person to protect this person, right? And right. And, and in athletics and, and, and on the ball field, on the battlefield, you got to be really honest with yourself. Like, hey, am yeah. I, I pulled myself off of in the last snaps of the first bowl game in 20 something years at the Naval Academy, because I was like, they're going to pass. And unless you're going to blitz me, you need to get Aaron in here because he's better at this than I am. So I just want to win. I don't care. I don't care who scores. Everybody gets the ring or nobody gets the ring. And so as I immersed myself in the world, I just, I couldn't look at someone and tell them I was better than some of the people I was working with. Right. I couldn't envision a scenario where I was passionate enough to become as good as the people I was competing with and even working with. And so I just, I was really struggling with that. And, um, it, but they were amazing people. I worked with incredible, I had amazing bosses from the top to the, to, to my immediate report. 
and they were inspirational and they cared about me and they cared about my family. It's and, painful though to run in those circles and not because you don't want to let them down, that's, right? So I, I like, I, hey, I know or your I'm, family. I know I'm not supposed to be here anymore. Yeah, like this yeah. is what I'm supposed to do, but I don't want to let them down. And change yeah. and quitting were synonymous to me uh-huh. at the time. And then Katrina happened, uh, and then I went into Katrina, pulled a bunch of people out, and came back. And all these people that were rightly saying don't manage my wealth were going, hey, can you manage? Uh, help me manage the risk of my family and my business. And I was like, man, I know how to do that. And, and not only do I know how to do that, most military veterans have a, a concept of how to do that, right? And so I started TRG in 2005, and, and now we've just been really blessed to be trusted advisors to businesses and families on matters of risk for, man, almost 15 years now. And then- uh, You looked at me kind of surprised when you said that. Oh, yeah. Every day I'm like, this, we're still here, right? <laughs> it's kind of one of these things, right? And uh, I just feel very fortunate. I feel very fortunate to be able to be someone that gets looked to and asked questions about kind of serious, no-fail things. And Do you ever feel, whenever you're asked a question- mm-hmm that you don't have an answer to it. Oh, I have no issues going, hey, that's a great question. I don't have an answer to that. Give me five minutes. And what's cool about this place is I can walk down the hallway and bring in someone who's, you know, like Rick Burkett, we've been 26 years in the FBI. And I mean, we have 200 plus combined years of special operations experience and intelligence and rescue in, in this company, right? So I, like, I love, as an officer, that's really your job. Sure. You know, if you're the best operator in your platoon, then the target's screwed because you can only be in one place at one time. Better to be surrounded by a bunch of guys who are better than you and be good enough to handle the room you're in, but let the boys do the work, right? So I've had no, I've never had any problem going, hey, I don't know, that's a great question though. Give me, give me a little bit of time and I'll either find the answer or I'm gonna have you talk to the person who has the answer. And I, I think that just kind of came out of, for you know, the first 30 years of my life, I was involved in things where if you misrepresented what you knew, then more than you suffer the consequences of that, right? So. 100%. And, you know, I was incurring a lot of trust because I would tell people, I don't know how to do that. And when it came to people's wealth, they were like, I just want to, I want to be around somebody who's honest with me. And Clint's re- almost, honest ir- almost irresponsibly honest with me by telling me he's not good at this, right? So when I get around folks who are like that mm-hmm. and think like that, they're good at two things. They're actually good at a lot more than that. But the two things that they're really good at is vetting folks in mm-hmm. and vetting folks out. Mm-hmm. So walk me through kind of what your thought process is whenever you meet someone new who you know that can add value to yeah. what it is that you do. How do you vet them out or how do you vet them in? Yeah, no, that's great. So so again, I talk about this in Pursuing Elite where I talk about these qualities. You know, when you Pursuing elite, elite, you said? Yeah, elite achievers, people who don't want to, they get restless on the X. They want to find the next ridge line and go, right? On the ball field, on the battlefield, on the boardroom, at the breakfast table, they have these kind of five consistent qualities. They're balanced, they're curious, they're tribal, they're intentional, and they're authentic. And I've seen this evidenced uh, at the breakfast table. Like that's, hey, I want to build, lead, and love my family really well too, right? So those are the kind of the four domains that I think really matter. So for me, uh, someone's capacity to be tribal, meaning submission of the self, uh, intentional. They they know why they're doing what they're doing. But for me, the first bell cow, the first indicator that someone has the capacity to be a great teammate is the absence of presence and curiosity. When you see someone who's not curious, when I see someone that's not curious, what they're telling me is they're perfect or they're done. And you can't be perfect. Hmm. So now you're a liar and you're lazy. It, it may not be that malicious, right? I was with a pro athlete the other day. He's amazing. But he's not curious. And I told him, I said, listen, here's the deal. You're great, but you're not curious. So what that tells me is this is as good as you're ever going to be, which that's fine as long as no one comes along who's as good as you or the game doesn't change. And there, there may be a scenario where no one comes along who's as good as you. But the game's changing. 
the game changed from last week to this week. So your days are marked, right? And for me, the absence of curiosity is going to suggest an incompatibility between me and them. Because I am, I call, for me, curiosity is intellectual courage. And it's the co-equal and precursor to physical courage. We define courage as action in the face of fear, right? Well, what's the reason most people don't do this? Because we don't want people to know we don't know. Or we're afraid of the answer, right? So doing this is courageous. And so it's evidence of courage for me. Um, and if I'm not done yet and you are, then inevitably there's going to be a breakup, right? So for me, that that presence of curiosity, that willing to willingness to look, hey, am I doing things the best way possible? Or are we doing things the best thing possible? The willingness to self-examine. Um, that's, so you seek alignment with folks prior to, I mean, that seems like it's a foregone conclusion. However, you seek alignment first in those that are surrounding you, sure. even as a prerequisite before you decide sure. to move yeah, into yeah. that. Is it, do, you, do you feel like that's a, a way to protect whatever it is, whatever ground you're about ready to go gain? Or It's a way to protect them because I'm going to go where we said we're going to go. Uh, I don't want you to be a casualty, right? Because if if you're not curious, then we, we, we're we either not going to get there as fast as we should, or you're not going to be there when we get there. And I don't want that to happen. And right? we were talking about lost time there for a second. Yeah. The sense like, of urgency and efficiency. When guys would quit during Hell Week, man, I would never discourage anybody from quitting Hell Week. If you were thinking about quitting, I'd be like, you probably ought to quit. Because the difference between thinking about quitting and quitting is that thin. And if if you're thinking about quitting, then then maybe this isn't what you should do. Now, that, that, there's a caveat in that. I would tell you that hyper-talented guys that I've been around, um, talent is this, it's an interesting animal, man. There's a, there's, a, there's a point where talent becomes a curse because talent kicks the can of adversity down the road long enough where all of a sudden when you, when you hit that thing where you're not talented, your talent isn't enough, and you're in your 20s, you're in your 30s, man, that's a, that's a lot. So I, I would see guys kind of lead the NFL because this is the first time they'd surround about people who are as talented them. And it's not a character flaw. It's an exposure flaw, right? Because there's the, there's the body, the brain, and the mind. And adversity helps cultivate a mind that can impose its will on the body and the brain, right? And you would see guys that just, they hadn't cultivated a mind through no fault of their own. They curiosity, I don't mean to jump in to, to interrupt you, but curiosity can also get somebody hurt pretty quick too. If they if they start sniffing in areas that they shouldn't. Sure, Have but, you ever but seen, dis discipline curiosity, right? I, it I couldn't agree but more. But I'll tell you, curiosity is the key to, you know, you ask questions when something doesn't work out, right? 100%. So curiosity is a catalyst. And, and so for me, curiosity is a catalyst, it's a creator, and it's a complacency killer. Sure. And when you get kicked in the teeth, it's like if talent's your plan A, and Bud's is built to beat your plan A, what do you do? If you don't have a plan B, because you never had to, because talent was always enough, right? So you're getting surf tortured and your body's going like, we're frozen. And your brain's like, hypothermia, we're gonna die. You gotta have a mind that's like, shut up. We, you know, I, I, I tell my daughters, adversity is open mic night, right? And the body and the brain, monkey brain's gonna try to grab that mic. And if you don't have a mind that goes, monkey brain, shut up, you know, then, then you might not make it, right? Yeah. Because everything feels infinite when you're feeling it, right? So disciplined curiosity, I like that clarification. And, fo and focused curiosity, too. I, I could, but, but I would I tell you, that. curiosity is good clay. I Even, love it. I love least, it. If you're asking the wrong questions and curious about the wrong things, that's just good clay. Like, I, I, I'd rather you have the impulse to curiosity and, and, and me just kind of... My son's jiu-jitsu coach talks about there's two different types of, sure. uh, of kids in the family sometimes. Sometimes you got a whoa. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you got to go. Yeah. And I'd rather have the whoa because mm -hmm. you're, you're almost like pulling back the rain. It's easier to steer a car in motion versus yeah, steering a sure. car. Yeah. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. So I, I get what you're so saying. So for me, curiosity is that qualifier and then intentionalism. Like I'm going, hey, 
uh, tribalism is knowing you need something more than yourself, do something bigger than yourself. So I say there's gaggles, groups, and teams and tribes. Uh, gaggle is united by misery. Group is united by preference. Uh, team is united by purpose, but purpose can be an opinion. Yeah. So it's my I, we, we, we agree that we won a Super Bowl together. We have a shared purpose. But then adversity hits, and you figure out if someone's opinion or their conviction. So for me, um, mm. you look at attrition on one side and conviction on the other, and someone's opinion is their purpose. And adversity, you're in a tug of war towards pulling their opinion towards a conviction. And you can really only do that with passion, process, performance, and purposefulness, right? It's almost like a tug of war, like passion, step, pull, purpose, step, pull, right? But everybody's got to make their own decision. This guy asked me, how do I get everybody in the boat? I'm like, you don't. can't. You just, you just got to figure out, you got to pull their opinion that y'all share a purpose towards a conviction with your own efforts, right? Passion, purpose, performance, and process. So the way that you described the answer to the first question about, um, you know, you're going to get to where you, it is that you want to go. It's whether or not those folks are going to be along there with you. They're going to be a casualty. Right. You, you want them to f- figure that out earlier I, in the process. I, I want them to be where they can't imagine quitting. Like yeah. my deal is like there's something you could do, something you should be doing there where it's unfathomable for you to quit. And I want you to find that. And every day you're doing something where you can imagine it, it's you're measuring that in irrecoverable time. It's like with relationships, you know, guys, hey, should I marry her or break up with her? I'm like, well, if you can literally ask yourself that question, don't marry her. Right. Because when I met my bride, I was like, hey, you want to get married? She's like, you want to go on a date? I'm like, yes, but you're the most beautiful thing that ever said yes to me. So I'm just going to keep asking you to marry me till you say I do or you call the police. Second, second date. That's when second I asked date. my wife to marry me. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I'm the same way. My wife's like, hey, can we go on a second date first? I'm like, yep, but you know how this thing's going to roll. Listen, right? you were fine before you met me. I was That's fine, right. but I'm just telling you, That's right. this ends in us getting married. That's I'm just it, letting uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, I, uh, I understand how this works. So, so, so for me, having that, well played, so. having that intentionalism. So I love you know, tribalism, intentionalism, and curiosity. And intentionalism is knowing why you're doing it. Like for me, knowing what why you're- What are you reading right now? At any given time, I'm, I'm reading five things. I'm reading um, a biography about a person, history about an event. Something about just business development, something I'm trying to learn about my craft, always reading the Bible. And I always have an off channel. Like I'm always reading something that's just fun. That's just like, I'm not. What is that? What are you reading right now? It's the off channel. So off channel right now, it's actually, I'm not reading it. I'm, I'm walking my daughters through a Magnum PI marathon, the, the one oh, from the eighties. Yeah. Like not, I don't count this new one. This new one doesn't exist to me, but my off, channel, wasn't yeah, my off channel is watching, you know, eight seasons of Magnum PI. With your daughters. With my daughters. Good for you. And the problem is my wife reminds him, like, your father's never looked like that. I'm like, babe, you know, I'm Tom Selleck. I you am don't Tom have to no, tell I'm people that. You don't have to, if, if Tom Selleck got on a squat rack, maybe we'd be okay. better now. But that's my, but I always have an option. And he's got a squat rack right upstairs, that's, too, that's for those of you who are listening. Uh, and they got to, if you're in the DFW area, my yeah, suggestion is. It's cool. It's yeah. hard to explain. Yeah. It is. So we built a ready lab where leaders can come to feel ready to protect, perform, compete, recover, and transition, right? So when you walk in like, hey, I, this can help me be ready to protect myself and my family, or hey, I can be ready to perform in the Spartan games and, and compete in the Spartan games, or hey, I can learn well how to perform under pressure, right? And so you you, you do with a, a veteran, like I've got amazing veterans here, and you can you can drink deeply from the well of being able to protect yourself and your family. But within, there's going to be a point in time where you're like, hey, I feel pretty ready. But you'll never exhaust of learning how they perform under stress. Like, hey, before you make that shot as a sniper, what's your breathing module? Because you can apply that, right? Because the amygdala, uh, you know, it's, a, it's agnostic. So if you can perform under pressure, a lot of times what we do is 
we deal with these really influential decision makers with kids college age and blue who are willing to proactively invest in themselves, their businesses, and their companies. That's in their families and their and their people. And so what we do, it's really fun. And why we built the Ready Lab, the way we built it, is it's an immersive environment where we show you that, hey, because you know how to do it over here, you know how to do it over here. So if you can swim in a pool, you can swim in open water. Like if you can, if you can, uh, you know, if you can shoot one thing, you can shoot anything. You just got to export the fundamentals and that you can learn that from 22 year old exporting the fundamentals. Yeah. Well, yeah, I love that. Listen, if you, if you can learn how to, if you can learn that you can perform under pressure already and how to do it in a home defense environment from a 22 year old devil dog that doesn't think he's smart. And then all of a sudden you're the CEO. And I see this happen all the time. It's my favorite thing. The CEO super successful CEO runs a multinational company. He'll come out and he'll be like, that's the smartest guy I've ever been around. And a lot of guys end up in the military because the K through 12 experience isn't a rewarding one. And they don't know that they're smart. Well, if you're a sniper, that's just physics, right? And if you're a breacher, that's just chemistry, right? And so it's amazing. It's so fun for me to watch these veterans and their families realize that uh, they are smart and, and, and then the, whether they go back to school. So I have a design to try to lose a percentage of my guys to my clients. Cause if I've done my job in 22 months or less, uh, these amazing guys and gals are going, they've either found a home in this ecosystem of companies that we run, or they met someone they didn't know and discovered something they didn't know how to do. I mean that, so what, what you, what I'm hearing there is with opportunity and a new perspective, they can, do what they've always done and just get better at it and be able to they, apply the commercial application. The, the of transition, the, yeah, that's 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 spot on. One of the ways I explain transition is like transition as an as a, as, a, as an operator is like being, hey, you can't play football anymore, sure, but you can play other sports. Right. So you just pick a sport you're interested in and you find the coach you want to learn from and you just do whatever you can to get on the field, right? Like, hey, uh, I want to learn about lacrosse. So here's this exportable skill I have from football that transitions into lacrosse, and I'm just going to earn my spot on the team, learn lacrosse, and then increasingly do what that coach needs me to do to become a starter. I mean, that's all business is, right? And what's really cool about the private sector that I've noticed is the the military does not have a monopoly on servant leadership. I mean, there are some of the most sacrificial, moral, good leaders, servant leaders. uh, I've just... I've encountered more of those than the bad ones since I've been out and it's fun and it's fun to go work for those guys. Isn't it amazing? So I, I love that we're going to, we're going to kind of land the plane with this thought of good people Mm -hmm. when equipped and surrounded by other good people do good things. Will force even the bad folks to, to have a different perspective on, on them or they'll make them go away. Yeah, when you bring light to darkness, darkness is a funny way of polarize or pull, man. It's it is what it is, is, and that friction between the two, I think, Mm -hmm. is very very good. The stories just don't get told all the time, right? Right, and it's seeking an answer when really it's it's being able to ask enough questions to enough people to where you can get your own answer. That's that's one of the things that that I really learned, and I've had some amazing combat leaders I've been around, and when we do after actions and stuff like that, like I always. I always felt extremely unfit for leadership during after actions because I think I made more mistakes than anybody else. And you know, and if I expect authenticity, I, I got to have it. So I'm like, yeah, hey, screw this, of this, of this, of this, of this approach. And it was really neat to hear. And I won't share his name, but he's probably one of the more decorated combat leaders I know in the special operations community, kind of regarded across all branches. And he said, "Well, you have more potential for mistakes than anybody else's leader because you're consuming more information, the volume of decisions that you're making, right?" And so you're going to have more incompletions if you play 80 snaps than if you play 10 snaps, 
and just the clarity of that. And it wasn't an escape and it wasn't a pass for making mistakes. It was just a consideration of the context. I was like, oh, all right, I'm not the worst. I'm, I'm not the worst at most. I'm just bad at a few things, right? Over and over and over again, let me fix those things, right? So I think authenticity, and that's the other part, like, it, it, but curiosity can be applied towards authenticity. Curiosity is like, hey, what could I have done better? What can I do better? How can I get better? I mean, that's a question, right? It always exists. The answer yeah. is you can always get things done better. Right? I, don't, I don't like being around people that don't ask themselves and others a lot of questions. Because for me, it's a declaration that you're done. And if you're done and I'm not, then inevitably there's going to be distance and it's just going to grow. And I, I don't say that as any kind of, it's not a character. It's okay to be done. Sometimes the best you can do is be done when you're done. Luke Keekley retiring when he did in the NFL because he knew he was done, to play past that point is a disservice to him and to the game that he loved. It's a right? robbery of who you were supposed 100%. to be. Beginning so, with. so you're yeah. not done. I'm just done with this. Yeah. And I would tell guys after hell, he's like, "Hey, man, you didn't, you didn't quit. You, you just didn't finish, right?" The quitter is the guy that said he wanted to be a seal and didn't even swear in. Like that guy quit before the work started, right? That's the quitter. You just this is hard. Yeah, this is really hard. By the way, we went up for five days. So when it comes to our listeners, we have folks that like to hear what people screwed up. They oh, like yeah. to. They like to hear. We need a longer you know, podcast. I, you're telling me. However, just for the sake of this particular show, what's the one thing that you would encourage somebody who's just come to the realization that, man, there's there's actually content, there's actually material, yeah. and there's folks that believe that making mistakes is the precursor to accomplishing anything yeah. significant. Outside of curious, what would you suggest that we they have, do? We have this concept called championing. And so if you're driving, you're a driver. If you're flying, you're flying, if you're swimming, you're swimming, we're defined by our actions. So if you're championing, it means you're constantly in the state of producing championships, right? And I had this really neat conversation with a, I mean, he's a highly regarded, proven national champion, Super Bowl champion. I was sitting there talking to him. We were at his practice. And he said, hey, make no mistakes. And I kind of flinched when he said it. And he noticed he observes everything. He's a amazing student of humanity. And after practice, he goes, hey, when I said make no mistakes, you flinched. And I said, yeah. And he goes, why? I said, well, let me be really clear. I won Super Bowls. I, this is, I don't want to pretend I know what it's like to be you. And he goes, okay, disclaimer acknowledged. I said, you're surrounded by genius. Like all these guys are geniuses. They're all physical geniuses and a percentage of them more intellectual geniuses than they even know. And when you tell a genius, make no mistakes, you inhibit their creativity and their ability to adapt and improvise and innovate this craft, right? And so you don't want to do that. You want to elevate the craft. You want geniuses to make mistakes. You want, to, you want, but you want to make new mistakes. I said, I don't, I've never told guys to make no mistakes. I said, make new mistakes. So two things happen when you say make new mistakes. You're allowing people to innovate and create and, and deploy this genius that all of us have in some capacity or another, right? But you're also calling them to be a professional because in order to make new mistakes, what do you got to do? You got to know your old ones. You got to understand the environmentals. Like you got to be pretty, pretty hardcore about documenting here. here I made this like, here's why, here, here's what I ate the night before. Here's how long I slept. Here's the play I didn't read, whatever. You're inventorying the supply chain of that mistake. And it's not about making no mistakes. It's about making new. I hate it when people say he, he gets better as the game goes on. No, he doesn't. No one gets better as the game goes on. What happens is he fatigues slower. He's reducing mistakes. He's reducing inefficiencies. So for me, it's uh, precision. I said, hey, four reasons anybody wins championships, passion, talent, precision, and endurance. The higher up you go, the less passion and talent matter. Not because they don't matter, it's just everybody's got it. All things being equal, passion and talent will reemerge as a deciding factor. But all you have is precision and endurance. And so precision isn't being right more, precision is being wrong less. 
that's a faithful, that's, hey, I made less mistakes. And endurance is making, is making less mistakes for longer than your competition, right? It's not an absence of mistakes. It doesn't happen. Yeah. We say, hey, you rise to the occasion. No, it doesn't. You don't rise to the occasion. You just sink to a level of your training. Level. Yeah. So, so hey, make no mistakes and make new mistakes and make new mistakes for longer than the competition, right? That's all it is. And so be encouraged by your imperfection and just try to resolve to just make new mistakes. We right. call that process, get some wins. That's it. That's more of the net result of it, but yeah. you got to be willing to, we call that don't be beta yeah. and get some wins. Get some wins. Okay. Get some get, wins. Yeah, yeah. Get some wins. Yeah. Get yeah. some wins because you can iteratively create momentum. Listen, hundred percent. If you're on patrol and your patrol's going perfect, like stop, it's an ambush. Like the only perfect patrol route can be shaped. The bad guy's the only guy that can do that. So if your patrol route's going that great, like all stop, we're probably walking into an ambush, right? And so you're going to encounter, hey, I planned this. Didn't hey, there's, Those things are contour lines. This is way steeper than I thought it was. Let's pivot, right? Yeah. And so was it a mistake? Yeah. Was it a moral mistake? No. Was, I mean, you're operating an environment of, you know, you look at problem sets and you have simple, complicated, complex, and chaotic, right? And depending on what you encounter uh, in, the, in, in the tapestry of that problem is going to determine how innovative and creative you got to get to solve the problem. But the, the library of lessons learned that you tapped into before then has everything. Like EOD, the two communities I think are probably the best at after actions are no, listen, everything in the military is a no-fail community, but, yeah. uh, but aviation and EOD. Aviation and EOD, hey, I made a mistake at 2,000 miles per hour. Like, you don't get many chances. So, you got to learn from the collective knowledge of everybody who's gone 2,000 miles per hour. Before, yeah, right. I understand. Um, and then EOD, I mean, just like when something goes wrong in the EOD landscape, it's horrific, right? Yeah. So, why would you ever let anybody learn what somebody else has already learned? And so, I think when we abide by life, that's why I love the Bible. I mean, the Bible is not a story of perfection. I mean, the, the, uh, but for one person, it's parables of but, screw ups. But, but, but for one person, the majority majority of the Bible is about overcoming imperfections, right? 100%. Mistakes, right? And using those otherwise yeah. less qualified proverbs to accomplish incredible things. I read a Proverbs a day to my daughters and to my phone, and, and, it's, and it's horrible because every day I read something, I was like, ah, I should have, no. I know I'm either going to face something with that or I probably should have read that yesterday. There was a, less, there's a lesson for you. Walk for right you into that one. Out there. Walk right into that one. Yeah, it's cool, man. I, I read, uh, uh, I learned this from this amazing business guy named Holt Lunsford here in Dallas. And, and he learned it from his father. His father would read a Bible from cover to cover for each one of his kids. And he'd annotate the Bible uh, for that kid. Like, hey, here's what I think about the Bible for you, right? And this intimate knowledge of his own kid. And he did it for his grandchildren. It was incredible. Wow, that is incredible. So I started reading the Proverbs for my daughters every morning. And then I take a picture of my Bible with its notes. And then I'm teaching about stoicism now, which is kind of this philosophy. It's not Eeyore. It's not this pessimistic stoicism is like, Hey, all you can do is all you can do. So what is authentically all you can do and just do that. Yeah. Right. If you bring yesterday and today, you'll compromise today. And if you take today into tomorrow, you'll compromise tomorrow. So, you know, extract from yesterday what's helpful for today and project into tomorrow what you think would be helpful tomorrow. Yeah. But the rest of it's just figured out, right? So John Stockdale talks about that in his Prisoner of War, how stoicism helped him make it through. Hey, understanding what you could do and this reckless optimism was, hey, we're gonna be out by, there's an element of reckless optimism. Optimism's good, positive mindset's not not a bad thing. Right. But, uh, but I think irresponsible optimism says, hey, we're gonna get out by December, we're gonna get out by Christmas, we're gonna get out by Christmas. What happens when you, 
what happens when that time passes? What do you do? Right. You and so, so, so the better way is to say like, Hey, we're going to get out by Christmas, but if we don't, I'm going to make it to the next one. Right. And it's just that qualification. But if we don't, I'm still going to be okay. Yeah. That's that positive stoicism. Right. So I, I'll, I'll, well, I'll, I mean, I'll read that to him. Pictures of my Bible with my notes. And then I'll typically a quote from Marcus Realis or Seneca or Epictetus. Or Epictetus. How old are your kids? Three daughters, 17, 14, and 10. So that practice of, of sowing, you know, realistic expectation, understanding that there's an accountability component of yeah. their doing that work. It's a very helpful parenting lesson Man, for those yeah. of you who are listening that honestly, you know, we didn't even think that we were going to get into Man. Parent, parenting lessons. Today, well, I, but I, you talk about parenting during competitions. Like I spend most of my time talking to other parents on the sidelines. I understand. And I look at parents, I'm like, Hey man, here's the deal. Your kid can't hear your heart. So whatever you think you're telling them, they're not, they can't hear you right now. Right. And, and I know your heart is for your kid, but they're not hearing your heart and, and you sound stupid. Right. And, uh, you know, if you notice a lot of the most accomplished people on the sideline that, you know, the accomplished athletes are the quietest, right. And because we want the sport to teach Say our that kid one more time. most. So a lot of times some of the most accomplished athletes, uh, are, are the, the quietest, are, are the quietest during games because we, we, we want our kid to drink deeply from what competition taught us. Right. And yeah. we also know like, Hey, I didn't play girl soccer. So I don't know what I'm going to yell at you. Like I was like, that's true. I, 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 I'm just now learning what offsides is. My daughters have played soccer. So I, I just now figured out, I don't my, my But you know one, what effort looks like. Yeah. I know what effort looks like. Yep. My youngest is playing hockey now. I, oh, I cool. for life and I can't figure out blue line. Like what's this blue line thing? I don't understand the blue line thing. Right. So I don't even know what to yell at them on a technical perspective. I just yell, Hey, go love you. Proud of you. And, I, and I'm pretty intently. People start, I'm like, hey, don't coach my kid. Let the coach coach my kid. You can encourage my kid, but don't coach my kid. I'm going to encourage your kid. I'll never try to coach your kid. So what I'm hearing here and a lot of what you're saying is, first of all, you have to be willing to be curious yeah. to pick up the pieces of what went wrong. Yeah. But you also have to be willing to take whatever it is that you've made mistakes yeah. For, and and be willing to go you out there and take it on that truth you just told yourself. That's exact. That's that's and the that's hardest hard. thing to do, and it's and it's hardest to implement that because you know you're going to run into that same resistance. But it becomes a habit. I mean, as with anything, yeah. the more you do it, the more habitual it comes. The more you, it's like a malfunction drill. Like you have, mm -hmm. I don't know when's the last time you pick up a pistol, but I saw yeah. a malfunction drill in your head goes tap rack bang. Mm -hmm. It's just it's just there. It's motive. That's when we go into corrective um, action. Yeah, and then that's when we go into Maslow's hierarchy of you know competency, where you sure. hey, what does it take to to go from un unconscious incompetence to conscious competence, right? And I think unconscious competence, native skills, it's over-celebrated. If you can get in that terrain of conscious competence where you know what to do and given the right prompting resources, teammates, and materials, you can get it done. Like that's that's not a bad place to be. 100%. So, well, Clint, we we're so far past your yeah, time. Yeah, I was going to say we are well over it, but I appreciate. No, of course, man. I appreciate a lot of what you uncovered. And to be honest with you, there's, there's going to be more right? yeah, sure. and, and there's more resources that you have available to that we'll make available in the show notes. So if there's things Love that it. we touched on that go back through the, the books, even some references that he's talking about, those will be in the show notes. Yeah, so absolutely. For those of you who like listening to knucklehead, we got new episodes coming at you every Tuesday. Sweet. Clint, tell these people where to go if they want to get in touch with you. Hey, so I apparently I have social media. I didn't know this, but my daughter's told uh, Clint Bruce HFST. I guess what they call it, a handle Instagram. I told my daughter, like, my Insta chat's not working. They're like, there's no dad, give us your phone. And then you can go to clintbruce.com, which I hate having, but 
uh, someone told me someone else was going to get it if I didn't, so I had to just create a landing page. There you go. I and mean, that's probably a good, you know, ClumpRoosHFST or ClumpRoos.com uh, or LinkedIn. LinkedIn's really the only social media I somewhat really understand. Those are really good ways to kind of begin a conversation. And I, like I said, I love talking to leaders who are want to feel ready to protect, perform, compete, and recover, and are willing to proactively invest in themselves, their families, and their businesses. And, and, and talking to me about getting ready isn't investing. There's going to be a point in time where you're, hey, I want to do this, but you don't. And we're going to have to part ways. Not because you're a bad person. I just know what I'm here to do, right? I want to work for the best leaders in America, create amazing cures for veterans and their families as they transition, win the war on veteran suicide with the power of daily wins and a good day's work, and invest in the success of military marriages. Man knows what he wants. That's it. That's what we learn from military experience, right? So that's what we do. So this is great, man. I, 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 you, I man. love the knucklehead story, and this is really cool. And thanks for the opportunity to visit with you all briefly. Yeah, you bet, man. Appreciate you, buddy. You bet. All right. We'll see you guys.